We are live from the Empire of Lies, bringing you the truth about the collapsing New World Order. I'm investigative journalist Lee Stranahan, and we're joined today by Jason Goodman from Crowdsource the Truth on The Backstory. Hey, Jason, how you doing? I'm well, Lee. How are you? I'm good. Do you have a nice weekend, uh, 4th of July weekend? Uh, I think in this day and age, not getting murdered counts as yes. Not getting shot anyway. Right. Even if yeah. you're not murdered, if you're shot, it kind of ruins your weekend. It does. But we got two great guests today to talk about the shooting stuff in Philly. Tom Nichols, writer, author, great guy. Tom Nichols is with us in the first hour. And the second hour, the man, the legend, Tyler Nixon. Jason, that's always fun. It's fun yeah. when you and Tyler get on the same show. Agreed? Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I love speaking with Tom as well. He opened my eyes to some information that I was totally unaware of. He told me about, he told us and everybody about that stuff, um, Spice, which I think is really dangerous. Yes, and but I'll be talking to him about, because it was July 4th over the weekend, the yeah. Grateful Dead, of course, and the oh. Grateful Dead's the Grateful Dead, classic American band, and we'll talk about their very American roots and references all throughout. You, of course, they have an album called American Beauty, but there's more than that. Uncle John's band, very, and you know, I've talked about it before, but do you know who's who are Deadheads? Ann Coulter and Tucker Carlson. Huh. Also, um, what's his name? The Ginger Frankenstein who hangs out with the pillow guy. Patrick Byrne. Yes, he is. Yeah. <laughs> but I went to a Grateful Dead concert one time. Can you guess which Grateful Dead concert I would have gone to? I think you can. New, New Year's Eve, Madison Square Garden? No, no. I went to New Jersey. But do you remember in like 1992, they did a thing where Sting got together with the Grateful Dead and was on tour. I went to see that. Oh, really? You know I'm a big See, Madison Square Garden New Year's or Halloween, pick one. Mm. I could have seen that because, mm -hmm. you know, special occasion. Right. But we got a lot to talk about because we got breaking news. So, Jason, clear your throat and please do the honors of the Gravitas version of the name of the show. This is the backstory. Now, you may have noticed I did a slightly different intro. I talked about our collapsing new world order. Yeah. Right? Yeah, the liberal and, world order, right. And it is collapsing. And I'll talk about all the reasons why. One of them is that Russia had a big victory over the weekend, and Lugansk is now under complete Russian control. Yeah. Aside from some stragglers, but effectively complete control. And Russia has now achieved their military victory in Donbass almost entirely. And that's Good. a big deal. Yeah. That's, that's a big one. Now, the other thing mm -hmm. is breaking here in the last two hours. The Boris Johnson government in the UK is falling apart. It is. I've said before, when we've had guests from England on Ian Schilling, for instance— Boris won the no confidence vote a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. 
Because Theresa May, before she was she was out, she won a no confidence vote. Winning that vote doesn't actually matter because right. the, the vote was very close. Yeah. Does that make sense? Well, the fact that they're even discussing whether or not they have confidence in you is not a good place to be. Right, exactly. And now I'm calling it, it's over. Boris Johnson is now officially a dead man walking hmm. politically. And that's because about two hours ago, two important cabinet ministers resigned within an hour of each other, within oh. minutes of each other. His health minister and his chancellor both resigned, and they said they have no confidence in the government. And once wow. the cabinet ministers start resigning, I, I wouldn't be surprised if during our show we get word that another cabinet minister has resigned. Huh. Yeah, because I'm looking at once BBC. The cabinet, right. Once the cabinet ministers start resigning, once one or two go, then a bunch go. Because one of the reasons they resign is because they might want to be prime minister. Uh, Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. The knives are out. So, right. And, and you don't want to be the last person to resign. And then, mm -hmm. and I got a hand to Bojo. He made the same distasteful joke I was going to make, but ahead of me. But <laughs> me doing it's not inappropriate. A lot of this has to do with sexual harassment, groping allegations against the guy who's a Tory high muckety muck. Named, now, if you were accused of groping multiple people, here's a bad last name for you. Pincher. <laughs> the guy's name is Pincher. And Bojo hmm. made a joke about it and said, by name and by nature, he's Pincher. Oh. But it came out that Bojo knew about the groping allegations. Oh, my God. Right. He's making light of it. Right. Was was making light of it. And they knew about it. And Bojo, with Partygate, he's repeatedly lied hmm. straight to the face of British people and his own people. And they have no confidence. He won that vote. But I heard a cabinet, uh, a high official in the Labor Party say, Bojo has to honorably resign, which means quit, or he's going to urge the Tories to break their own rules and allow a second no confidence vote. Wow. Which then said that then Bojo will lose. So imagine if someone in Congress had said, we didn't like the result of that impeachment outcome. Let's let him take another vote on it. Yeah, yeah it seems a little bit uh, not the best way to do it. But, you know, England, this is all the top story here on BBC, Lee. You're right. Johnson reshuffling cabinet. Yeah, it's not looking good. So, no, as I say, He's he's a dead man walking politically. He's yeah. either going to resign and pretty quickly in the next day or two. He's either going to resign pretty quickly or they're wow. going to boot him out. Will, will, will this do to make, Julian Assange? Yeah. I mean, what do you think this is going to do? Any any impact on the Assange extradition? The big 
No, I don't think it'll impact Assange, unfortunately, for Julian. I think Mexico. the big impact we'll have is Ukraine, oh. which is why I start with Ukraine news. Boris Johnson in, is the European leader who's most supportive and by a, a hair, because a lot of them are very supportive of Zelensky. He but went there, though. Johnson is the most supportive. And particularly, he's the one who, when Zelensky's thinking of making a deal with Putin and surrendering, Bojo shows up in Ukraine right, and basically personally says, Zelensky, don't do that. That was a ridiculous thing to do. And it's happened twice now. Bojo has suddenly shown right. up in Ukraine to stop Zelensky from surrendering to Putin. It's very bad. I'm saying it's surrendering. Zelensky might call it negotiating. Right. But if someone's mugging you, you don't enter negotiation as you hand them your wallet. Right. <laughs> well, technically you are, but it's uh, not very favorable to you. You can try to tell your date. No, I'm negotiating with him. Right. I'm not giving me. No. I, I, and yes, I'm letting him take you in the alley, honey. Hmm. But I think it'll work out well because he won't kill you. Maybe. I'm led to believe. Right. That's what we've negotiated. Yeah. It's not good. That does not go over well. No. You're not getting a second date. No, no. So no. the reason I started, so so now, think back, I said the collapsing New World Order. You see why I brought up Ukraine and the military victory that Russia had over the weekend, and now this thing with Bojo. Yeah. Now, let me throw in something else. Have you seen what's going on in Amsterdam, um, in, in, in Holland in general, in I, the Netherlands in general? I did hear something, but it's escaping me. What Remind me what's going on there. What's going on there is huge protests by the farmers. They're shutting down routes. They're shut. Go look. Go look at on YouTube. Go look for Netherlands. Yeah, blocking supermarket distribution centers. Amsterdam, Dutch farmers angered by government plans that may require them to use less fertilizer and reduce I heard livestock. about this from Gonzalo Lira today. And oh, Gonzalo wow. said, because he's previously lived in Amsterdam, and I spent some time there as well. And mm -hmm. he likes the Dutch. And he says, it takes a lot to get the Dutch riled up. That's true. They're pretty calm. It's the weed, I think. The weed <laughs> and the ready, ready supply of hookers. Yeah, it's like but a calmer version of Germany. <laughs> a, a, a guy I knew, you may have known him. He was a video toaster dealer from the Netherlands years ago. And he described the Dutch to me. And it's always stuck with me. He said the Dutch are the Germans... Without a stick up their ass. Right. That's right. I agree with that. Good engineering. I agree with that, too. Trains run on right. time. <laughs> Very efficient. Yes. Very efficient, but a little less chill, as World War II proved. Yeah. A little chill, chiller. Right. Better food, too, I think, in the Netherlands. Than, I, I prefer Dutch food to German. I do. And a little tension on that, since I like talking about food. Do you know what the big difference is? It's the 
the the Dutch were a colonizing nation. Uh-huh. And if you look at the countries that they colonized, it affected their food. For instance, huh. they colonized Indonesia. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of Indonesian restaurants oh, yeah. in Holland. Yeah. As opposed to Thailand, we've allowed Thai restaurants in this country, yeah. for instance. Right? The other yeah. one that that uh, uh, I, I'm going to get it. Whatever South American country that the Dutch colonized, it's either Argentina or Brazil. I think it's Argentina. They have a lot of Argentinian steakhouses. Uh, yeah, I noticed that as well. Good, good point. I didn't know the colonization thing. You know, there's a big farm to table movement. I haven't been to Amsterdam. I guess it's about eight years at this point, but there was a lot of great farm to table restaurants. It's a really enjoyable city. And I'll tell in case my boss is listening. If you need me to go over and cover <laughs> the farmer protests in Amsterdam, yeah. I'm ready, willing, and able to get on a plane and head over there. Is that nice of me, Jason? Pretty generous, yes. Thank you. <laughs> so that farm protest, do you, are you seeing the video, Jason? Well, I was just looking at Reuters and a print article about it, but uh, I did see a ton of people in the streets. I was not aware it was a farm protest, but I had heard about it. Protests. If, if you look, if you look at the protests, they're huge. Yeah, they're huge, and I think the uh, I said Gonzalo Lira to discuss it this morning. He said there's no press coverage, and they're yeah. mad about they're trying to they're putting the WEF and Klaus Schwab are forcing Holland to do all these climate things that are affecting farmers. Uh-huh. And they say it may put like 30 to 50% of farmers out of business. Wow. And they don't want to be out of business. And there's a big food crisis coming to Europe. So well, this is another, how's this I'm trying help? to make the case, <laughs> I'm trying to make the case, Jason, that the new world order is collapsing. And Johnson having to leave any day now, you watch. Do you know what else is going to happen? What? Like this Amsterdam thing, a lot of Americans are going to be completely shocked that Boris Johnson's gone. Yeah. Because we're Does not that getting. Make sense? Well, because we're not getting any of that news. We're being flooded right now with this maniac kid who, uh, you know, shot everything up. I can't even keep straight in my head where the shootings are taking place. Where was this last one? Right. And well, We'll have a clip about that it, it, near Chicago, right, Illinois. Illinois. Yeah. Oak, Oak Park. But uh, we'll talk about that briefly. But I, I agree. The big story is combined Russian victory, European leader Boris Johnson going to be out. And by the way, the other thing about Bojo leaving is there's no clear successor. Hmm. So it's going to be, be a bloodbath for who replaces him. And I'll tell you who wants to replace him. Liz Truss. I don't know who that is. She's a foreign minister. She's a foreign minister from England. And she's horrible in Ukraine. Hmm. Just one more thing on the Netherlands before we get off of that, Lee, because I'm searching now for news about just Amsterdam protests. The, The first things that Google gives back are a lockdown protest 
from January. And then also they're upset that Jeff Bezos has a boat that's stuck in some Dutch shipbuilding thing. So that's not a, that's yes. not as important to shutting down half the farmers. And and so by the time people figure out what's going on with Bojo and this thing in Amsterdam, it's already there's they're, they're going to wonder why weren't we hearing about this? Because, yeah. again, yeah. if you look at the video, these are not these are newsworthy protests. Oh, yeah. So. I think that's going to be part of what I can Consider a spiraling effect of bad news that is most people are going to be shocked and surprised by it. Yeah. Does it make sense? I think that they're specifically keeping it from everybody, if I had to guess. And But I've said this before, quoting Bob Marley, you can fool some people some of the time, but you can't fool all people all the time. Right. And uh, so therefore get up, stand up. Exactly. But, uh and and no, I, I think that's a that's a significant political song for Marley. And that line in there, I think obviously it's a Lincoln quote that Marley adapted rhythmically. But yeah. that idea that you can fool some people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. This is what's going to take down the new world order. You cannot fool all the people all the time. And you've got away with fooling some of the people or most of the people for decades. But that's I see I see events that are gonna spell the end of that. Do you see what I'm saying, Jason? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I don't know if you're aware of this, Lee, but you know, a lot of people seem to think that Bob Marley was involved politically and perhaps the cause of his death was uh, something other than what we've been told. Well, there's a lot of stuff going on in Jamaica at that time. Yeah. My dad used to go over there to play golf. Oh, wow. And, uh, yes, my dad told me once about he didn't do it. He, my dad never tried marijuana because he was afraid he would like it. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Yeah. And he, he told me one time about, and tell me this is not a scene from a movie, then we'll get to the calls. Mm -hmm. Ingrid's online. But he told me, tell me this is not a scene from a movie. My dad in the 70s was playing in a golf tournament in Jamaica and picture a bunch of 70s golf pros. And first off, picture how you imagine them dressed because it's the 70s and they're yeah. golf pros. So yeah. imagine the size of the collars. And the pants right? had to be crazy and everything. Right. Then they had a, a, a Bob Marley concert that they invited all the golf pros to. Uh. And my dad was on the bus as they're bringing them back to the hotel. And there's a busload of 1970s golf pros. Imagine how to dress. All <laughs> high. Yep. He's, he's describing it to me. Everybody was smoking weed. These big spleefs on that's the bus funny. back, except for my dad. <laughs> tell me that. Tell me that's in our movie scene. Wayne I was going to say, that's got to be a movie scene. Yeah. And and the actor and you get somebody stunt casting to play maybe Jack Marley. Black. Oh, to play your dad, no, I was thinking no. Jack Black. The, my dad was more uh, James Garner in his Rockford era. Jack Black and would I play you. Yeah, or my son. But let's go two two five two one thirteen twenty. Ingrid, thanks for waiting. What's on your mind? 
Well, I have a couple things to report, but first about the uh, uh, the Netherlands. It is in the news. It was in my Yahoo feed with photographs and film of these tractors blocking the highway for miles. And so I don't know why they're they're hiding it from you, but I, it was I got a lot of it for a couple of days now. Um, well, no, but I see. And Jason Paul's news too is is being a lot of times these stories you can find a story or you may have seen something, but it is being buried for the size of the story is. It it's not being completely buried, but it should be bigger news. Yeah, right, Jason. Do you agree? It should be bigger news. Yeah, I mean it's pretty clear that all of these social media entities have ways of kind of suppressing the reach of things they don't like and amplifying the reach of things they like, and that has proven to be extremely effective. And I, w- I won't call it buried. I'll change it to suppress. That was a good word, and it was a big word, and I was able to pronounce it somehow. But so so anyway, Ingrid. But but thanks for mentioning that. What you saw. Mm-hmm. All right. The thing I want to report is we had a very good 4th of July here in the parade. We had eight people marching for Julian Assange. The crowd was lining the street. And uh, Susan Rice was there, Obama's whatever national security advisor, giving thumbs down. But most people gave thumbs up, and we handed out literature, and it was a really good day. And also, uh, coincidentally, came out today that the president of Mexico, AMLO, has come out in support of Assange and said if if Biden has charges against Assange, AMLO is going to demand that they take down the Statue of Liberty. So that was, that was pretty good. Yeah. And good, good for AMLO. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. What say you, Jason? Well, I think it's interesting that you see a country like Mexico, which how do I put this? I think traditionally takes a back seat to the United States and doesn't come out and directly challenge the president of the United States that often. We're, this is Bidenism, you know? We've got a paper president there, and these countries are not afraid to tell them what they think. And AMLO is also continuing in the tradition, and I've pointed this out, people like Hugo Chavez, of tough guy leftists, you know, El Jefe leftists, who want to show that they're not going to back down to anybody. Yeah. So Amos in a tradition. So that's good news, Ingrid. What else we got? Well, the other thing is I, I was talking to some old friends of mine, activist-type people who usually are in the know about things, and they never had heard of Bill Browder or Khodorkovsky or even the Magnitsky Act. So uh, I don't know. You know me, it is significant to know the background and of why we come to where we are. And it's just terrific, the work that you're doing. And I hope that you, you know, you don't imagine that people get tired of it because there's always going to be a new audience. There's, there's new people that you have to reach on that. But going back, going back to the Netherlands, besides global warming, I think part of that fertilizer, do you think that might be from the sanctions that there's uh, difficulty getting fertilizer because so much of that apparently comes from Belarus and Russia. Yeah, there's nitrogen. a food and fertilizer crisis, and this is not going to help the impending food crisis. And 
And the other reason I say that the New World Order is facing a lot of problems it's not going to be able to avoid is the energy and food problems are going to get worse as we approach winter. Guaranteed. And countries like Germany are going to face big crises. And so part of the reason I think they want to suppress it is the Germans might look at what the Dutch are doing. They might see them protesting and say, hey, wait a minute. Maybe we should do that. Does that make sense, Jason? It does. But the other thing I'm thinking, Lee, is that it's, you see, like, sometimes you've been involved in a lot of different types of businesses. I've been, you've got kids, family, all kinds of stuff. Sometimes you're faced with a crisis that you know about, and you're sort of like, well, I don't like this, but there's nothing we can do to avoid it. So we need to, you know, move some things around and change what we do. And maybe I'll, you know, reduce this over here and put a little bit over here and there. But if something hits you and you have no time to prepare for it and you don't know about it, you can't make any of those adjustments, it's going to get worse. And it just seems like everything that they're doing, and by they, I mean Joe Biden, EU, NATO, it seems like everything they are doing is calculated to make the outcome of all of this way worse. And that's part of the reason I I think it's important to uh, inform people about some of this stuff. And by the way, Ingrid, great call. Uh, if you want to tell people who are broadly on the left about Browder, direct them to Max Blumenthal. Max Blumenthal has done a lot of good work on Bill Browder. And Max Blumenthal is more palatable to many people on the left than me or right. Jason. Yeah. Right. I have a question for you, though, Lee, about all this, because, you know, we've been hearing a lot now about Joe Biden is going to go try and talk to the Saudis, even though he's insulted them like crazy and he wants to ask them to drill for more oil, even though they've admitted that they don't want to do anything to upset OPEC plus, which includes Russia and Putin. Now, what we've been hearing is that Saudi is contemplating joining BRICS. That would seem to be devastating to the U.S. economy since Saudi Arabia is one of the two legs of the petrodollar. And then it causes me to think about this whole relationship with Jared Kushner and IDT and all that stuff. Like, what is going on there with Jared Kushner's relationship with Saudi Arabia, the Magnitsky Act, Yukos Oil? Well, maybe we can get into that at the top of the hour because we got to take a short break now and welcome our guest for this hour, Tom Nichols, author, writer, analyst, and Philadelphia historical expert among other things he knows about. We take a short break. More with Tom Nichols after this break on The Backstory. FM, AM 1390, in the Washington, D.C. area, on the radio. If you remember those ancient devices. Remember the radio, Jason? I listen to it on the internet now. Yes. (laughs) And someday people are going to say, remember the internet? Right. 
but they won't even say it because their brains will be connected on a local area network and they'll just think it and then a monkey playing a video game for banana juice will be there. Yes, and I can empathize because I've had my brain crash. Yeah. That's strokes, that's a good way to euphemize that, I say. Yeah, a little but reboot. Imagine the, the miracle of the internet and how often it frustrates us because it crashes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's frustrating. Joining us now, great friend of the show, author, writer, and historian of the slightly obscure. Is that fair to say, Tom? Tom Nichols joining us. Once in a while. How are you, Lee? I'm fine. Thank you. Hey. Hi, Tom. I'm good, Tom. Welcome to the show. So, did you have a nice July 4th weekend? Very quiet. It was almost monastic. I didn't go to any barbecues or. I certainly didn't go to the big fiesta-like fireworks display on the parkway. Um, I don't. I don't like super, super large crowds where it's elbow to elbow, um, because there's always a problem of like what to do when the crowd breaks up, walking to the subway or walking to your car. And certainly after 2020, crowds like that have always become suspect in a way. <laughs> so and is yeah. is there. Is there a problem of what to do when the crowd starts fleeing from the sound of a gunfire? Because that seems to happen quite a bit. I have never experienced that, nor do I want to experience it. But I can, I can pretty well imagine it. And sure, um, it's it's just frantic scurrying for cover anywhere. Um, so um, what's falling or what could hit you? So I mean, I can't even imagine the horror. Yeah. Now. We received this, uh, by the way, this is a lie, but we received this from the Philadelphia Tourism Board. That's a joke. It's it's the mayor of Philly talking about shootings. And I'm going to play it for you and see what you think, because we did have, I believe, mm. a couple of cops were shot in Philly this weekend, correct? Yeah, two. Yeah. Yeah, we had, we had two police officers shot. So let's play this clip from the mayor talking about it. And his his he lays awake at night and dreams of grabbing people's guns. You'll hear it. Let's play the clip, shall we? Hit it. But we live in America and we have the Second Amendment and we have the Supreme Court of the United States telling everybody they can carry a gun wherever they want. It's like Dodge City. I mean, so like we have to come to grips with what this country is about right now. We had a beautiful day out there today, except for some nitwit, either shooting from a window or shooting from somewhere, who has a gun It probably shouldn't have had it. And that's, I mean, I was in Canada two weeks ago, never thought about a gun. The only people I knew had guns back up in Canada were police officers. And that's the way it should be here. But, I mean, look, in my lifetime, that's never going to happen. So a lot, of, a lot of goofballs out there with guns, and they can get them anytime they want. So this is what we have to live with. What can you tell people, Mayor? It's just, um, I, I know, what, can you talk about your resolve? People are asking, if I what's had, the mayor doing about If this? I had the ability to take care of guns, I would. But the legislature won't let us. The U.S. Congress won't let us. Um, the governor does the best he can. Our attorney general does the best he can. But this is a gun country. It's crazy. We're the most armed country in world history, and we're one of the least safest so, you know, until Americans decide that they want to give up the guns and give up 
the opportunity to get guns, we're going to have this problem. I see you have a soccer shirt on. We're having the World yeah. Cup here Madrid was years. Madrid was wonderful. How I how walked around Madrid at one o'clock. How concerned are you about walk, big events like this? I am. I'm almost. I'm concerned every single day. There's not an event or a day where I don't lay on my back at night, look at the ceiling, and wonder, worry about stuff. So everything we have in the city uh, at, over the last seven years, I worry about. I don't enjoy Fourth of July. I don't enjoy the the. The Democratic National Convention. I didn't enjoy the the uh, um, uh, NFL draft. I'm waiting for something bad to happen all the time. So it's I'll be happy when I'm not here, when I'm not mayor, and I can enjoy some stuff. You're looking forward to not being mayor? Yeah. As a matter of fact, let me, let me. that was amazing. Now, do you feel sympathy? I dare say empathy for the mayor of Philly, or do you too long for a day when he's not mayor? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I long for a day when he's not mayor because he's been he's been hiding in City Hall for a long, long time, had his neck in the cement, as it were, with all the violence that's been happening for years since uh, Krasner uh, came on the scene. You know, drug-related violence, uh, violence in the street, and it's just like just now he like realizes um, he makes this this like seemingly public relations bold stand um, right now, and it's almost like he's he's comparing what happened on the parkway to the Highland, Illinois massacre. This was not a Texas-style, Highland-style massacre. This was typical Philadelphia. I mean, you know, it, it was uh, targeted probably, as far as we know, to the uh, police so and and um, you know who knows if it was drug related, thug related, um, whatever adjective you want to put in there. This is um, this is a different kind of a violence, and this city has always had it. Um, I have a problem with other things that he says. His his use of the word nitwits and goofballs to describe like shooters who could have possibly killed people. I mean, it's almost cartoonish. It's like, who calls a potential killer a goofball? And it kind of like reminded me that um, he's actually afraid to use nuts and bolts language because he may be criticized. He may use the wrong word. This is a very PC city, and so you have to watch what you say. Um, So, um, but... um, so those are my initial thoughts. Well, did you feel any sympathy for his sad inability to get rid of our Constitution? He seemed to not like yeah. our Constitution and wish he could do something about it. It seems like he stays at night fretting yeah. and despite other people trying to subvert the Constitution. And that's ironic, of course, because on July 4th weekend, Philadelphia is one of Right, the important cities in the founding of the country, right? Yes, yeah, and he he seems to think that um, that if you take away the guns, all the violence problem will be solved. There'll be like no more violence in the city of Philadelphia. Everybody will turn into a choir boy, or the incidents will go down radically. Uh, what he seems not to be aware of are, are the kinds of people who abuse guns and. And, of course, I mean, and the bottom line sort of points to does, like, Philadelphia need a population transplant? I mean, so um, if you have people who 
who will use anything, knives, guns. Certainly guns make it easier. I'm no fan of guns. Um, but, um, but I think that the problem here, I think he simplifies it. Sorry to interject, guys, but not only that, he's got it all wrong. He said the Supreme Court has passed a law that lets everybody carry guns everywhere. That is not at all what they did. And in New York, it has actually become more difficult to obtain a gun. They now want your social media history and a psychological evaluation of anybody who applies for a gun permit. So he glossed over the facts and details and just, I mean, that was opinion nonsense. The Supreme Court upheld the Constitution. That's what they did that he didn't like. Right. right. Yes. In New York, it was very, very difficult to obtain a firearm legally. They made it. They made it very, 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 very difficult, almost impossible. And so that's what the court decision, as far as I know, was all about. Well, all all that said was that it was unconstitutional for them to have this provision in New York, where you had to explain why you needed the gun. So that was deemed unconstitutional. Now, after the Supreme Court ruling, new laws have been instituted in New York. And the only way the Supreme Court's going to have a say on those is if somebody brings a civil suit against the state, they are going to then lose that in uh, court, go to the appellate court, and then go to the Supreme Court. So it's going to take years until these new laws get challenged. And it's a whole lot of shuffling around of documents and nobody who is a law-abiding citizen who wants to protect themselves can purchase a gun in New York. He wants it like where only the police carry guns. Right. You know. And let me talk about that for a second, because I saw a couple of years ago a piece of video, and people talk about some the fact that everyone has cell phones now means sometimes you see these crimes and the criminals who commit them. And you, you point out correctly, don't call them goofballs. So I saw a misuse of guns where uh, men with long guns entered into the house of an elderly couple in Florida. And his name was Roger Schoen. Oh, yeah. And oh. there's video of them coming. And that is an example of why the founding fathers the founding fathers were less worried about even the goofballs in Philadelphia. They were worried about the abusive power of government, mm. right? And we saw an example of that with Roger Stone, and we've seen it recently with the people who've been raided in Virginia. And so first off, when the founding fathers wrote the Constitution, they did not write it. They, they knew that perhaps musket technology was not the end-all and be-all of gun technology. They, they want people to be able to defend themselves against an abusive government. Is that essentially your understanding, Tom? Yes, it's always been my understanding. Um, and, uh, but um, I wonder if they, if they had the mindset then to jump into the future and envision the kind of... Uh, kind of violence prone society that we live in today i mean how do you how do you work it out um you know there there seems to be some like middle ground where maybe better checks uh before you can buy a gun better filters uh so i don't know i mean uh but to just 
abolish guns altogether and to turn the U.S. into Canada is uh, definitely a very simplistic third-grade answer. But everything that this mayor seems to say or suggest, uh, it tends to be on the uh, simplistic side. So you don't get complexity with him. Um, I think that's because he he has to deal with the kind of city council that we have here. Um, you know, it, it's despite... I mean, real estate values in the city, this is still not a very uh, sophisticated city, I don't think. I mean, it, it really has uh, some, I don't know, I, I don't know what to call it. They used to say, I had a friend from Virginia who used to tell me, now he liked Philadelphia very much, but, but he used to say that uh, Philadelphia was in the so-called dumbbell as opposed to the uh, Bible belt. I had never... <laughs> was a dumbbell. But the idea fascinated me. So he actually drew a graph and he showed me where this uh, dumbbell went. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I think he was onto something. Um, so um, certainly um, everything points to it. Well, that guy's the mayor of dumb. I actually wanted to talk to you because we're just through Fourth of July weekend and you know a lot about Phil's history. I was thinking about this this weekend. A lot of Americans are talking currently about the civil war. Are we going to face a civil war in this country Mm. or a revolution? And I don't think they understand history. I don't see any parallels between revolutionary periods in world history. And I've been studying the Russian Revolution in the 1917 October Revolution that put the Bolsheviks in power, that age had been followed by, in February, there was a strike involving 150,000 people. That's a huge strike. Wow. And most people, they, they sat through speeches, and people were part of voluntary organizations where sp- soldiers or or tradesmen would get together and they meet and discuss the ideas going on. I don't see any of that now. In Philly, during the revolution, what was life like for the people at revolutionary times in Philly? Different, obviously, than the U.S. Did people in the Founding Fathers days in Philly sit around and complain on social media? Or were they discussing... There was a lot of in Russia. There's a lot of different newspapers that would print speeches, and it reminded me actually of the founding fathers' era, where there's the printing presses were political ideas. Does that make sense, Tom? Yeah, yeah. Um, we have we have that now, of course. I mean, there are, there are a lot of uh, divergent voices uh, saying uh, different things. Uh, of course, some of them are censored, as you know, or uh, they don't see the light of day very much. And certainly in uh, this city, uh, all of the all of the the uh, corporate press tends to think alike. So you can go even to the so-called weekly publications, and they have basically the same editorial views. Um, so th- uh, you have to search a little bit outside the margins for something that's outside their narrative. And um, so this um, 
But this town is very hardcore that way. You know, you see these fights on social media all the time. Um, people defriending people because of their uh, political views, and and it still goes on. But um, you know, and I think you saw to some extent with the Roe versus Wade decision, with the Coach Kennedy prayer decision in um, Washington State, I believe. And so you know, had you had a lot of people on social media. I noticed this time. Um, urging people not to celebrate Independence Day, that there's no freedom, there's no Fourth of July, that th- th- this country is headed towards fascism and some right-wing evangelical Christian uh, theocracy. Um, and uh, these people really believe this. And um, and so that it it's even affected, I mean, they're, they're just, you know, so that was, that was amazing to me. And I've never seen that on the 4th of July before, although I admit a long, long time ago when I was in the progressive liberal camp, I always had some ambivalent feelings about the 4th of July, but never to this extreme. Do you find it now, ironic that people rely on huge corporations that are guided by the government to shout and complain about fascism? Yeah, isn't that, isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah, they don't even know what it is. I know they don't know. Yeah, they don't know what it is. Um, it's okay to to censor a local speaker or to shut down views they don't like, but but um, you know um, they have to. But uh, they just they call fascism something else. So yeah, it's it's um, urging. Now, what's your take on the Supreme Court's decision? Uh, really, uh, on the reaction to the decision to overturn Roe versus Wade. And really, I'm focused more on the reaction to it, the public reaction to it. And I'm not impressed by the discourse on it. I see a lot of stupid arguments made mainly by Democrats on this. But I think one of the good aspects of Roe v. Wade being overturned is it's making people think about issues that they weren't required to think about when Roe v. Wade was the law of the land. What's your take, Tom? Well, yeah, it was just assumed that it was it was a right like um, like voting. Uh, Roe versus Wade was was uh, taken for granted and it was never the history was never studied. I mean, as I think I told you a long, long time ago on the show, I used to work in an operating room in the 70s, and I used to take a lot of these aborted fetus babies in jars of uh, formaldehyde to uh, pathology after a DNC or uh, whatever they called that procedure. And they were doing them every day, and um, they were really being done as a form of birth control, actually. And... Um, I mean, I was an atheist then, so I I was indifferent, but I started not to become indifferent, and I started to think about it. Um, The reaction to the court's decision recently, of course, you know, we got a couple of days of extreme, intense, pot-boiling demonstrations, but I actually think it, it was more intense when the draft was released. 
And I'm kind of surprised now that it seems to have tapered off. And there's, I mean, you know, uh, not that something might happen next week, but um, there's nothing sustained about these protests right now, it seems to me. Um, I'm, I'm surprised that Biden is just pushing this and pushing this and is, is doing everything that he can to codify it into law. Um, while still fingering the uh, rosary beads in his in his uh, pocket, and still claiming to be a devout Catholic, I, just, I mean, this is like the worst science fiction that uh, uh, you know you could ever read. Um, so I don't. Um, so you know, the court's next session should be very very interesting because there are a lot of controversial cases that are going to be heard then, and I'm sure that that they will also generate um, kind of an in-your-face hostile responses. And what do you think would happen if some legislature in some state were to push for school prayer, voluntary school prayer? They'd have to craft it in a policy that doesn't force anyone to do it but allows for voluntary school prayer. I think if that went back in front of the Supreme Court, it's clear school, voluntary school prayer would be upheld, and that would really make liberal heads explode. What do you think? Um, I, I, think I think that would bring these people, the left, over the edge. Um, I agree. Um, I mean, I've been reading editorials about the Coach Kennedy thing, and uh, I just read something in The Guardian by an Irish female millennial writer. Uh, all Irish writers seem to be very, very left and radical now. It's just something that I've noticed. And so she thinks the uh, sky is falling, of course. And But, um, I, I, I mean... I was I was a high school student when they when they had when they went from school prayer to a moment of silence and I remember the transition and it was very very eerie because there was like one minute over the PA system where the principal would say now we'll have a moment of silence and it, and of course nobody knew what they were supposed to think of uh, noble thoughts from philosophers or something. So, we, so it turned into a big giggle and mash note exchange um, session. So, um, I don't know. Um, I think I think that would really rock the boat. And the big thing that the Democrats are trying to demagogue on now, for fear, is just saying, well, with Ruiz's Wade overturned, what's next? And they're saying gay marriage is next. And I don't see any move to overturn gay marriage by anyone on the right. Do you see anyone talking about on the right saying, now we need to get rid of gay marriage? I don't because, I mean, gay marriage isn't about the killing of a human being. And both Republicans and Democrats have gay children. You know what I mean? So I, I think it's I think it's an issue that that people have just come to accept even in a grudging kind of a way. Um, they may not wave a rainbow flag, but okay, it's like been here since the dawn of time. <clears throat> um, but although there there is in the Texas uh, GOP platform, I believe something about about 
about stating that a homosexual orientation is unnatural or something along the lines of what Clarence Thomas said was that that he wants to actually uh, criminalize uh, sodomy again, which I don't think will ever, ever happen. <laughs> um, you know, you're talking about private adult consensual behavior. So, uh, <clears throat> but I mean, gay marriage, I don't, frankly, I don't understand gay marriage. I don't, um, I've like never been a big fan of it. I have friends who are married and, but um, um, I never think of it. So, um, but I don't think it'll be overturned. <clears throat> and and uh, the Democrats are trying to use it because they have to find something. You know, what happened was Roe versus Wade was overturned and you can still get an abortion in this country. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, uh, but, you know, then they say, well, it affects poor people and people of color. They can't afford the Greyhound bus ticket, or they, they like, may not have a vehicle to get to an adjoining state. So this is, this is reason enough to have it legal in, in all states. Um, but, Tom, great discussion. We're out of time. Fantastic discussion, Tom. You're always welcome on the show. Great talk. Tom Nichols, everybody. Let's take a short break. When we come back, more backstory. Backstory, joined by Jason Goodman from Crowdsource of Truth. This is the backstory. Always a good talk. Hey, Jason, with Tom Nichols. Yes, and I actually, you know, I wanted to ask both of you guys: Do you think that Elon Musk was sending some kind of message by visiting the Pope? He disappeared for more than a week, and then he just shows up at the Pope amid all this abortion controversy. I don't think I don't think it was any hidden message or anything. Elon Musk is pretty good at when he wants when he thinks something, just saying it. But he was there, hanging out with the Pope. Why was he doing that? Well, again, it's the Pope is a world leader, so that's what that's all I think it is. Because he seems and to disagree with a lot of the, with a lot of the woke leftist ideology. Well, it seems to be a. a uh, a free speech advocate and is capable of talking to people who he disagrees with civilly. Yeah. Yeah. That's my take. But I wish he'd hurry up and get a take over Twitter, don't you? Yeah, I'm very interested in what is going on with his bid to take over Twitter and I have not really thought from the beginning that it was about making money or anything, I mean, you know, the market seems to not be convinced that he's going to be buying it for 54 bucks a share because it's hovering around 38 and it's not going anywhere. And we're joined this hour by the legendary Tyler Nixon. Great show when we get Tyler Nixon and Jason Goodman on. Always fun and lively. So, yes. Jason, to the announcing honors. This is the backstory. And you can call the show 202-521-1320. Now, Jason, 
what did you bring up last hour you you want to talk about? Um, well, the whole thing with Joe Biden trying to appeal to Saudi Arabia to pump more oil, but Saudi Arabia saying, we hate you, Joe. And we're thinking about joining BRICS and going and hanging out with Russia, which will probably tank the petrodollar, I would think. Well, because Russia, I, I heard a, a good talk by someone who's a frequent guest on the show, Caleb Mopin. I heard, because I've been, as I talked about last hour with Tom, I've been looking into, Jason, the history of the Russian Revolution mm -hmm. in 1917 in a much deeper way than I've looked into it before. And Caleb is a communist, mm -hmm. and he's open about it, and he really knows the history of the 1917 revolution. And I don't agree with everything he says, obviously, because I'm not a communist, mm -hmm. but he knows that history. So... Looking into that history, uh, a, a number of things have struck stuck out at me, and a lot of stuff I didn't know. Because to really get into the details, there's a lot of details. Does that make sense? I'm sure. Yeah, I don't know the first thing about it. Yeah, and uh, but Caleb made an interesting point in one lecture I was watching of his. He talked about how imperialism. The first thing it does is it hurts the economy. When you go, when an imperialist nation goes into an area, they stop economic progress. And imperialism is against economic progress for the people they imperialize or <laughs> colonize. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it throws them into chaos, I would think. Yes. And, and, that's and that's why in Ukraine we see there's no the economy in Ukraine is tanked. They're completely dependent. Yeah. As the U.S. colonized Ukraine, which I think it clearly has, one of the first things they did is destroy their economy. So I ask you: Is the U.S. destroying the economy of Ukraine a bug? Or feature? Is it a side effect or was it the goal? And I think it was the goal. I think they want to keep a corrupt, weak, dependent economy in Ukraine. Russia, on the other hand, because they're not an imperialist power, they go, and I'm coming back to your Soviet, to Saudi Arabia. Yeah. When Russia deals with countries, they deal with them as equals. They don't go. So, for instance, I don't like some things Saudi Arabia does. For instance, the public hangings, right? And we're yeah. talking about gay rights. There's no gay rights. Right. You'll be hung. Mm -hmm. I don't like that. But if you're going to make a choice to deal with Saudi Arabia economically, it doesn't make sense to go in and then talk out one side of your mouth about human rights abuses, but only bring it up. You see, we never bring up the human rights abuses Saudi Arabia does because they're supposedly our ally. But the only reason is because they buy weapons and everything else. We put conditions on it. And so Russia doesn't do that. They may disagree with Saudi Arabia's policy on human rights, 
they don't sanction countries when they disagree with them on human rights. If they're dealing with them economically, they don't put a bunch of extra rules on them. And the U.S. basically puts rules. A country like Venezuela, who we don't like, is not particularly a worse country on human rights abuses than a country like Brazil that we do like. Does that make sense? Well, it also doesn't account for the fact that the United States commits horrendous human rights violations. Right. And so we're hypocrites. Yes. And so there's an advantage for Saudi Arabia not wanting to deal with a country that's hypocritical. And the U.S. is that. And Russia's putting out the welcome mat saying, we'll do business with you, but we won't lecture you. Right. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. And then the other thing I think we should consider is that if you had an option of doing business with someone who tells you, hey, I want to buy what you have, but I don't want to pay more than 30 bucks for it versus going to the other party that's also selling and saying, look, why don't we all get in business together and then we'll dictate the price all over the world. Screw this guy with the 30 bucks. Let's go to China for 40, India for 50, all of Europe for 60. That seems like what Saudi Arabia is cooking up right now to me. And, and so, uh, and Tarif, I see it. We'll get you a call in one second. On a micro level, microeconomics, rather than countries, in a weird way, Jason, and I hope I can explain this in a way that makes sense. Uh, in the U.S., we do the same thing on a company-to-consumer basis. What is the, all the woke and cancel culture stuff? Rather than saying... PayPal is essentially saying, or YouTube, or any number of companies, if we don't like your politics, Jason. Right. Yeah, you're out. Right. You see what I'm saying? How yeah. it's a, it's a, it's an example of the same thing. Yeah. And then that reminds hypocritical. me of something, Lee, because you know, I was looking at that website, R U Tube, the Russian YouTube. And I was going to post yeah. some stuff on there. And it was interesting because it works slightly differently in that you upload something and they will tell you if it gets struck or not before they even present it to the public. So there's a processing time on our YouTube and a video that I uploaded on there. It said to me, oh, you can't upload this because it's a copyright violation. And I was like, well, wait a minute now. First of all, it's not, but it was it was tagged as that by YouTube, how does our YouTube know about that? Is it possible that Google tricked everybody and created a site that they said was Russian YouTube, but it's actually them and it's some sort of a trap? I, I don't I don't know that. I, I'd have to, I'd, I'd find out. It's interesting, isn't it? Yes, very interesting. 202-521-1320. Tarif, thanks for waiting. What's on your mind, sir? Um, thank you, y'all, for taking my call. First, I like to say, free Julian Assange. I have two comments. First comment is this: China accepted a um, business deal with um, Airbus over um, Boeing, uh, three hundred aircraft, commercial aircraft, total of thirty-one, thirty-seven billion dollars. It is it, great for China. It's great for um, Europe. But what it does, it, it, it actually put to question the sanctions against Russia because to produce those type of large aircraft, you need high output of um, energy. You need gas plants, you need coal plants, nuclear power plants to produce those planes. And also it weakens 
a lot of exotic metals too that come from Russia. Titanium. Titanium and um some other type of metal. I forgot the name. Nickel they, they produce need that yeah. well. Um so it kinda of put NATO in jeopardy, you know, with the sanctions against Russia and also the future NATO that's in a, that you know, if the NATO won't go to to the Pacific, they put that in um jeopardy because all China have to do is just erase the thirty seven billion dollar contract. But um, last comment is dealing with what I understand. Russia in the future, near near future, is going to have a mass mobilization. They just signed something in the um, law with the Duma. Um, Tom Lagongo was talking about if Russia take over Odessa, which is part of the um, which you have your the Danube River that goes through Romania, Bulgaria, Serbia, and also um. Hungary, the landlocked Eastern European countries won't be landlocked anymore because they have some type of treaty with that Danube River where you can ship cargo uh, containment um, uh, supplies up there. Where if Hungary want to leave NATO or the EU, they can use that as leverage where they won't be subjugated, you know, they won't be um, subjugated by the EU anymore or NATO anymore. They just can leave. And be supplied by the um, Black Sea because if you know Russia take over um, Odessa, that's it. That's the end of the game for NATO and the EU. So that's going to be. It gives those countries a way out of NATO. You're saying, and you're right, Trief. Go ahead. Yes, it, it give them it give them leverage whether if they want to stay in NATO or not. Because you got you must understand it's around it. So if they got access to the sea, but they're not being blockaded anymore by. Um, um, Ukraine and Russia take over Odessa, then now they got access to the Black Sea again. So uh, Hungary and Serbia will be free from um, EU and NATO. Yeah, thank you for taking my call, Lee. Well, just one real quick comment on the Airbus sale to China. I, I don't know if that's as great a deal, Tarif, as Airbus might think it is. You know, the Chinese commercial aircraft company, Comac, has been accused of copying certain aspects of Boeing stuff. You know, I, I think China clearly is buying those jets to duplicate them, and they'll be the last Airbus jets they ever buy. I'm sure. Well, yes, um, Chinese, the um, Chinese of the old China, like 30 years ago, they used to duplicate a lot of stuff. But from what I understand, been looking at some of the, um, they, they have a lot of inventing things on their own without copying. Yeah, you know it. it in the um, military defense industry and also civilian world, we do copycat. Just like the French intelligence pulled some American um, technology 30 years ago to go into the industry, everybody do it. So it's not, China not the only one that's stealing technology. U.S. steal technology from Russia, also China, too. It goes both ways. There you go. All right, good, good point. Thanks for the culture. Great call as usual. Take care, Therese. And, and Command Central, do we have any other calls on the, on the Twitch board? Okay, thanks very much. So uh, so one thing I learned also from studying Russian history in 1917, Tom was talking about their censorship today. Yeah. Well, there was lots of censorship then. There were yep. all these newspapers that were published by the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks, and they were getting censored all the time. So censorship is not new. No. 
Does that make sense? No, it's it's like the old, you know, it works. Throwing your critics in jail and censoring them prevents their message from getting out. Yes, and I would argue there's more ways around it now. We talk about the censorship on YouTube, but we have ways, you know, for instance, at an extreme length, the easy level, let me put it like this, is if one platform censors you, use a different platform. If you don't like YouTube, use Rumble or Odyssey. That's yeah. a easy one, right? Yeah, but they don't have the now, reach. You're sort of out of the conversation at that point. Well, they, they do have the reach. I, I'll put it like this. It's how long have you had any reach? What, what, what reach did you have 20 years ago? Zero. Right. And so I'm saying... Whereas YouTube temporarily has a bigger audience because yeah, they built point. it up. Right. There was, Could be MySpace and, in five years. Right. Right. Exactly right. And, but uh, at an extreme level, uh, a, a virtual machine, what's the, what's the term? I, I'm, I'm, v, I'm, I'm forgetting a word, Jason. Uh, VPM? Uh. Oh, a virtual private network, yeah. Right. So at the extreme of actually getting that, you can get a computer. And by the way, you can use a Raspberry Pi, which you can buy. That's a computer. It runs on Linux, and you can buy it for 40 bucks or 50 bucks. Mm-hmm. Did I tell you, by the way, I mentioned this on the, on the radio last week. I just bought another Mac Mini, Jason. Uh-huh. And it was a refurbished Mac Mini with a one terabyte hard drive. I was going to buy a, a, a one terabyte hard drive to put my audio on. Uh-huh. And instead, I bought a Mac Mini. Hmm. It's a Mac Mini with eight gigs of RAM, a one terabyte hard drive. M1. And I bought, do you know how much i5, which is fine, an oh, i5, Intel. dual i5. CPU. Do you know how much you paid for it? I think less than five hundred. One hundred and eighty bucks. Wow, that's really a good deal. <laughs> right. I, I can't. And when Jason that. says, "Right," that's why I bought it rather than buy a hard drive. I said, yeah, "I'm just going to buy a whole whole computer." It's great. And I'm going to dedicate. I'm going to dedicate this computer to putting audio only on, hmm. which I never, I never would have bought a thousand dollar computer. And they dedicated to putting audio on. But you can tell by dedicating it to audio, I'm going to install less extra stuff that can conflict yeah. with the audio programs. Does that make sense? Yeah, and you have much more space there as well. Right. And I'm only going to install what I need. And then I bought a five gig- gigabyte hard drive, forgive me, five terabyte hard drive, one of those portable ones that's rugged. Yeah. For about 180 bucks too, 160 bucks, five terabyte hard drive. Hmm. It's amazingly, so I you know, this- when when you and I first started getting into the, you know Amiga computers and everything, I, I I was obviously younger than you. You were like the expert making the videos, and I was a little kid sitting in my room watching the videos. But the first hard drive I ever got was five megabytes, and it took up the whole size of the computer. It was as big as the computer. 
No, and I'll do one better. My first computer was a Radio Shack TRS-80 Model 1 with 4K <laughs> build, of memory. Build it yourself, yeah. With 4K of memory. You, you cannot... I, I have nothing on my computer that's 4K. Right. 4K. <laughs> the header file nothing. is bigger. A, yeah. a text document, nothing. Right, right. And and it, it came with a cassette drive. Uh-huh. When you, it didn't have a floppy drive. Yep. We used cassettes to download programs. And it would take like 10 minutes yep. to download one of the programs into the 4K memory. So that, <laughs> that's how old I am. But, and I'd like to point this, this stuff out because... I know J- Jason for a long time. I know you. Mm-hmm. Your your mind is already saying, because think about it. What could you do with Mac Mini that's two hundred bucks? Oh yeah. You start. Well, they, you start for thinking, servers. Yeah. Like like I would almost, and I could have spent less. I could have bought a four uh, a four gig of RAM one yeah, but, but with a half a gig. Four is too. I think about the best. Better one. I think yeah. about the the better eight, one. Eight gigs, I think, is for the modern operating system. It's a little bit on the bloated side. Lots of graphics and everything. I don't think four gigs would have been enough. And 180 bucks. I mean, I'm telling you, if you had told me it was 400, I would have said that's a good deal. Right. And, and it's 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 under 200 bucks. So that means you could do stuff. For instance, like have a computer that. I'll put it like this. That's about the price of an Apple TV. Right. I have an Apple TV attached to a projector in my living room. Mm-hmm. At that price, I could almost afford to attach projector full-time to a proje- yeah. projector to the Mac Mini. and Just use, use it, it for media. Yeah. Yes, use it for media. Or use it as a de- dedicated Skype line. Right. Does that make sense? So you do I've, nothing. I- yeah, I've always thought like that, Lee, because, you know, a lot of times people say, oh, you know, I just need to get a faster computer and a better computer. Sometimes if you just offload dedicated applications to less expensive computers, you can get much better performance and much more flexibility. Because the problem becomes when I, I load, for instance, the main computer I use is everything, which is mm-hmm. audio, video, word processing, utilities, mm-hmm. And I have so many programs on there that at a certain point, programs start to conflict with each other, right. particularly if they have fancy drivers or something like that. Yeah. And so they make every program work less. Do you right. understand? Does that yeah, make sense, Jason? Yeah, when you get into the resource-intensive video stuff, absolutely. You, you sometimes, maybe the computer's fine with having a Skype call, but if you want to be live streaming, have a Skype call, and browse the web, it starts to slow down in the whole thing suffers. If you had a $180 computer doing the Skype, that might make all the difference. Right. And on some of the video stuff that I do, I could afford to buy that computer and have it de- dedicated to just streaming video. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? You mean as, as a server? If, if the if computer, get... all it's, and have, have it hooked up, up to my switcher. Yeah. So it, it starts to become, and the reason I mentioned this stuff is I want people who are listening to the show to be not just ahead of the news cycle so you know more about news and can brag your friends who don't care about foreign policy. <laughs> but I want you to be able to have a better life. Does that make sense, Jason? 
Yeah, and technology is such an important part of our lives that people who are completely not in, you know, engaged or involved with it might be losing out on some things that they may need to do. And see, what we do is, and I, I see I will kill her, I'll get to you in one second. What mm. you and I do, l- let me say that we're slightly dumb, and I'll explain what I mean. What we do is we see news, and then we report the news. And that's our business model. Mm-hmm. See the news, research, and report the business, report the news. Mm-hmm. But there are plenty of people out there who do what we do. They research the news. And then what they do is buy. I heard about a guy. He bought. He saw the fertilizer crisis was coming. Uh. And so he, he bought futures, fertilizer futures. Oh. And he made 10 times his money. Holy cow. See, I don't even know how to do that. That's exactly. Do you still want to say we're dumb? Yes. Because that's dumb. Yes. We picked the wrong business model. We could do the same research. In fact, I I had this happen. When I was talking about gene energy, one of the engineers here at Sputnik was listening to all. Oh, the you told me. Yeah, and he invested in Reporting it. I was doing. And what he did, he's smart. He bought stock in gene energy. Yeah, and it went up. Right. And so everything I'm pointing out, you could use it to talk, talk about the news or you could use it to prove how smart you are or whatever, mm. which is essentially what we're doing. I got one we, quick we story like talk- for you like that, Lee. So Yeah, go ahead. Then we'll get, get the alcohol. So basically, I was the second unit stereoscopic uh, you know, stereographer on Amazing Spider-Man. And there was a whole big dust up between me and the 3D company that was providing the cameras because they didn't want me there running their crew. And we were busy arguing and fighting. Meanwhile, the visual effects supervisor from Amazing Spider-Man was talking about Bitcoin on set. And I didn't really understand what that was. I just spoke to a mutual friend. That guy just bought a yacht. If I had stayed home mining Bitcoin on the computer instead of going to work in Spider-Man, I'd have a lot more money right now. No, and let's get to Owl Killer. 202-521-1320. Killer of Owls, what say you? Hello. Did you guys happen to catch um, the UFC uh, middleweight champion Israel Adesanya bring up uh, Ghislaine Maxwell's uh, prison sentence the other day? No. No. What did he say? Uh, He's just like, I think he he brought up the the guy that um, was sentenced to two life, who he got two life sentences for creating the Silk Road. He's like, what's going on with... Uh, oh, Ross Ross Ulrich, right. Yeah, he was like, "What?" so he gets two life sentences, and this girl gets 20 years uh, for contributing to the uh, rape <laughs> with that. Um, yeah, it's an easy pull-up if you pull up um, on YouTube, Israel Adesanya, um, Ghislaine Maxwell. Um, I, I just find that so strange that that has completely dipped out of the news, which to me says that that is a very weak point uh, with the globalists. That's why they're trying to sweep it completely, um, completely out of the news. Because I know she had just been sentenced to 20 years, which is Mickey Mouse time for the for the uh, the, the level of child exploitation that she participated in and uh, Epstein participated in. Now that you should mm. read under the jail, as far as I'm concerned. I don't even think they're going to put her in there. You know, how do we know if she is an intelligence asset? And the intelligence community wants her sort of off the board, out of the public eye. Can't they just say she's going to jail, take her to a jail, 
tell everybody at the jail she's going to this special place in the jail because everybody's going to want to kill her, and then she just leaves, and nobody knows where she is. Honestly, knowing what you know, just just all the lies that we we get, would you be surprised if Epstein wasn't still alive somewhere? I think he is. I don't think you know when you look at the profile of the image shown on the gurney, only published in the New York Post, which has had a lot of weird stories about. Ghislaine Maxwell going to In-N-Out Burger, et cetera. You look at the profile of the dead guy in the post and you compare that to any profile picture of Jeffrey Epstein, it looks like a totally different guy. I, I just I thought that was a, um, a major I, – I just thought that was a big deal that a UFC fighter was uh, bringing yeah. up. And it was, you know, it, was make, it was trending for a little bit, then it, then it died off. But I, to me, that just tells me – that just says that the system – that is one issue that the system is very scared of getting out. Um, when you guys, I, I do have a question. When you guys do your Patreon, um, or when you do your, uh, when you guys a thirty minute segment on YouTube, when it yeah. you actually cover extra stuff that you're, you're you can't say on YouTube. Correct. I to it over the weekend. Yeah, that that was something I was putting off. Sorry, I missed that part. You said, what, what did you say over the weekend? So I, I had I had just signed up to uh, Patreon so so I can uh, hear what else you guys are saying because I, I, ah, thank you. Obviously, you guys are delving into stuff that YouTube would, you know, take your channel down for. That's exactly the reason. That's exactly it. Because nothing that we're saying is illegal or tortious, but we like to be able to exercise the First Amendment. And it's nice that Sputnik allows us to do it here. But, uh, yeah, Patreon and Subscribestar, people can watch High Dive on uh, Saturdays. And there are certain things you can say, because what they do on YouTube is apparently... They, they've got technology that makes a transcript automatically. It listens yeah. to what you're saying, right? And then yep. what they do is the algorithm is able to monitor those transcripts. And what the algorithm is looking for is certain more words. Yep. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so I've actually if, you use, if you use certain words, it, that triggers a YouTube flagging the video. It's more That's common. My understanding. It, that you're right. It has that capability. But what is far more common in my experience is that viewers are flagging the videos. And in the case of Crowdsource the Truth, and certainly when Lee and I get together, our enemies surround the videos and try to flag them. So another reason why we do High Dive on Patreon and Subscribestar is because they do not operate in the same way. And when you contact them, and say, hey, this video is doing X, Y, or Z, you actually deal with a person. And I, as the creator, have an opportunity for an interaction to understand what the problem is, et cetera. There, there's a lawsuit going on right now, Alex Berenson versus Twitter. And this is a very interesting lawsuit. Now, today, or uh, maybe before the holiday, they announced that they're entering into settlement negotiations. But the reason this is so interesting is that Berenson made a lot of claims about abusing his First Amendment rights and claiming that Twitter was a government actor. The judge basically dismissed all of that and said that the uh, 47 USC Section 230, CDA 230, protects Twitter from all of that. But the judge allowed a breach of contract claim to stand because Berenson had engaged in some back and forth with an executive at Twitter who said, no, these particular tweets are okay. And if anything changes and you're going to get blocked, we'll let you know. And then they blocked him without further 
uh, notification, and this violated a doctrine called promissory estoppel, where even though they didn't have a signed contract, because Twitter had made a promise to the guy and then reneged on that promise, he's now got a breach of contract claim. And this uh, news today that they're going to settle, I think, is Twitter's reaction. These guys are so desperate to not have any adversarial party achieve discovery and learn things about their internal communications uh, that they will settle with him or otherwise make it so financially onerous for him to continue that he'll lose. But it's the first time anybody's gotten through that CDA 230 protection in a lawsuit with any of these big data, uh, big uh, tech companies. And let's take a short break because we got Tom Nix online. Great call, Owl Color. Let's take a short break. And when we come back, the great Tyler Nixon is joining us. And that's right after this break on The Backstory. half hour, Jason Goodman from Crowdsources Truth and I are joined by the legend Tyler Nixon. How are you doing, Tyler? Doing excellent. It's always a great time to be with two fine patriots like you gentlemen. I'm honored to be with you. Likewise. So, did you have a good July 4th weekend, Tyler? It was more of a working weekend, but uh, yes, of course. I mean, every day free is a good day. Uh, You know, we'll see how long that lasts, but... uh, Certainly, the forces are trying to, uh, I think, trying, trying to diminish that with uh, each passing day with this daft president. Uh, but, you know, that be that as it may, I just really enjoyed, I mean, really enjoyed the discussion on, on this show. I mean, particularly when Jason comes on. And I just loved hearing about Holland. I mean, I've spent many, many, uh, probably more than, I lived in Berlin for two years. But other than uh, Berlin, Amsterdam has been probably the primary city that I've loved to visit in Europe and just uh, from the mid nineties. It's been a while since I've been back, but uh, no, I loved hearing about it and and hear you guys talk about it. And of course the Dutch rising up and you've described it perfectly. The the Dutch are like a chill version of the Germans. You know, (laughs) they're, they're like the the Germans who couldn't become Nazis basically. But uh, I'll tell you what though, their COVID restrictions or their, their uh, requirements for uh, entering the country and, are really harsh. I mean, more, oh, probably worse than almost any other uh, Western European country. It's really bad. And I think that may have helped contribute to what we're seeing now with these protests. I don't think the protests are only about what they're about. Does that make sense? I think there's a background noise. Yeah. Of the, the, and I think we're seeing that in countries like you're going to get more of a backlash in Canada and the U.S. because of COVID. Do you follow me? I think so. I mean, well, certainly the Dutch have a rebellious spirit beneath their very orderly uh, and, you know, precise uh, sort of veneer. I remember uh, speaking to or I, I befriended uh, some of the early Dutch pioneers of the uh, the cannabis, you know, the, the marijuana sort of legalization or decriminalization movement there. Got to know growers. And, uh, you know, he the stories they told about how, say, they that they sort of just took to the streets and kind of just overwhelmed the the government and the the police and so forth in terms of 
uh, saying we're not going to we're not going to back down on this. I mean, when they when they get it uh, a bug under their bonnet, they're uh, certainly not going to be under their bonnet. They're certainly not going to back down. And uh, you know, it's good to see it's good to see popular movements like that, or any sort of popular uh, uh, uprising. I think, uh, considering what we see now with the, you know the consolidation of totalitarian power that's uh, underway, and and just as you know, uh, Jason had, had alluded. Really, it's almost as if they're trying to inflict pain on on the ma- you know on the working people, yeah. the, the masses of uh, humanity, uh, and really trying to make things worse. The outcomes just be awful in so many situations. Yes, and I'm glad you brought up rebelliousness and freedom because that leads right into a Grateful Dead discussion that I want to have briefly with you. Uh, I was watching what a long has been the documentary series on the dead. Over the weekend, and uh, they, it, you, you are deadhead, correct, Tyler? Yeah. Uh, have I seen it? You said. Yeah, I said for people who, in case people tuning into the radio show for the first time, you are deadhead. In fact, correct. Oh, I'll, for sure. In fact, I was going to offer you. I have about a hundred terabytes that I maintain on various drives of vintage audio. Uh, you know, in high definition. So. Let, you know, send me a, send me a five terabyte uh, passport or even a you know whatever you like, and I'll fill it up with music to, more than you can listen to for the rest of your life. That's the new tape sharing the, thing. Bootlegs, yeah, Grateful Dead yeah. bootlegs. Now, well, these would be digital. Many are digital soundboards, Betty boards. Nice, wow. And the the Fourth of July is a good time to. It's always a good time, but it's a good time to listen and think about the Grateful Dead because aside from the fact of their music, that their music is an amalgam of four or five American musical forms, forms that originated in America, from jazz, bluegrass, rock and roll, blues, country and western. The Grateful Dead combines all of those musical forms, which are uniquely American. Would you agree with that, Tyler? Absolutely. Now, they're the ultimate American band in terms of American music. I mean... I think you could almost call them sort of. I think Jerry once called them Electric Dixieland. I mean, but they, you know, they have that sort of the the mythical country western uh, uh, sort of cowboy uh, spirit there for a while. I mean, they've got, of course, the uh, you know the the acid test sort of uh, '60s uh, revolutionary um, spirit to them as well. And um, and just you know pure rock and roll, and then they they cover a lot of uh, they, uh, what they cover alone. I mean, you know, Chuck Berry, uh, you know, I mean they've covered everything you could think of, and and their own catalog is uh, absolutely uh, you know embodies I think American music that can be listened to by anybody because there's you know, there's stuff that's really beautiful and soft, and then there's just stuff that's driving, and there's stuff that's you can dance to. It's got a little bit of everything for everybody. I think. Uh, you know, they're they're sort of the uh, the understated. Um, you know, don't, get, don't they're starting to get the credit they deserve. I think for the legends that they are, because they have still. I mean, they're still playing. In fact, a couple weekends from now, I'll be seeing Phil Lesh uh, with the string cheese incident, and they combine them. It's called we call the Phil Lesh incident. Phil hmm. is eighty one year, excuse me, eighty two wow. years old, and still dropping the bombs. I mean, it's just uh, you got to catch him. And these guys, I, that's one thing I loved about the Grateful Dead when I first became a deadhead. And this was you know, maybe 17, 18 years into their, uh, well, actually, no, about 20, 20 years into their, um, into their, you know, tenure, whatever you want to call it, from 65. 
um, that you could still see this band that was a, a, a let that legendary from the 1960s that was still performing, still out on the road, uh, and still the big traveling circus that they were. And, you know, they made, they, they really defined, redefined ahead of, uh, anyone else, what, music would become because let's face it there's nobody's buying record albums nobody's buying cds nobody you know the, all the the uh, traditional physical media that that's dead um and what you have now are if, if bands and performers want to get noticed they have to play live uh, and they have to go on tour unless of course you know they have some sort of massive juggernaut like you know they that was willing to promote them but otherwise you have to go out and play live you have to perform a uh, sort of a, a group, an audience that will that will sustain you for years that won't require having to download and constantly produce, in other words, downloadable new studio albums. And that's really, they were, they, they also, uh, you know, with their wall of sound and working with Meyer Sound, uh, a lot of the techniques and sort of the refinement of live music uh, performances, uh, the, the, the audio quality that you hear today, is attributable to the Grateful Dead. They were always pushing the envelope there. So, you know, when you can hear a crisp concert today, sitting in the nosebleed section, it sounds just as almost as good as it does on the floor. You can thank the Grateful Dead because, uh, you know, they, they were constantly... And I, think, uh, I think thematically, I think you'll agree with this. They were also, it was an American vision that redefined what America means and kept the rebellious spirit. It, it was independence. The Grateful Dead were not a singles band. They were not, they did not fit into the music industry. They made the music industry conform to them. And Jerry said he was, for the first few years that they were together, every day he was glad he didn't have to go out and get a job because he could be independent. And I think that independence, and people forget because the hippies were unfortunately affected by uh, communist ideology too much. But I think as time has worn on, it, it speaks to a type of independence that I'm, I'm, this, I'm like Jerry and every day I'm glad I don't have to, I'm not delivering pizza or making pizza, which I've done before. I can live this life. And do, do you agree that the, age of independence and rebelliousness is needed more than ever. That spirit is needed more than ever among citizens of the U.S. Tyler Nixon. Oh, I mean, absolutely. It, it, it pains me that, uh, you know, after Jerry died, I mean, Jerry sort of was an almost an anarchist of, you know, never, never wanted to get involved in politics um, other than what would be the truly most truly worthy causes. But, you know, since then, of course, you know, they, they've I think it's driven by the wives, unfortunately, you know, they've all become sort of like San Francisco liberal type, you know, liberals and really just, in my view, very ignorant and shallow politically. Just, you know, sign off on the hate Trump, you know, just the typical yeah. leftist you know, doctrine, whatever that be. Um, but but their music, though, I mean, the songs they have U.S. blues, you know, Liberty is another song they wrote, you know, leave me alone to find my way, own way home. I mean, so many songs speak of rebelling. Uncle against. John's I mean, band. The, the, oh, Uncle John's band. The recording industry, it's so funny because they bucked it. They were anathema 
I mean, there's literally a letter written by a, a Warner Brothers executive in 1967 that like banned Phil Lesh from ever setting foot in another Warner Brothers studio again ever. <laughs> I mean, they just they they bucked that system and they formed a business model. I mean, there's been books written about this, which essentially said we're going to let our our uh, audience or our, our uh, fans record our performances and share them yeah. because he's, Jerry said once we play it, we're done with it, and then that actually proliferated their music. I mean, that's how I became a fan listening to their live performances. And then that builds a grassroots fan base that's artist driven. And, and that's really the model now for most you know bands who want to make it is, is to, to get their live music out there to the fans and to connect directly with the fans and cut out these middlemen and cut out these, uh, you know, the, the sort of the, the, I mean, not that, not that they didn't produce, I think great music through the fifties, sixties and seventies, eighties, whatever have you. Nowadays, I, I have no use. I mean, whatever you call the music industry is just a, a joke. Um, but that being said, yeah, I mean, they, they established that model and proved the model and forged the way for many bands and, and, and thus have in, engendered the platform for a lot of great music that's out there nowadays. Really fun. I mean, a now, broad range in, in from grass to like to, uh, to reggae. You in, this very, in this very conformist political society, and the very conformist media environment, one way to tell who you might like is who the media hates. Focus on who the media hates. Ask yourself, who do they hate? Joe Rogan? Great. Elon Musk? Great. Marjorie Taylor Greene? Great. I'm going to play a clip now. I, The more I hear Marjorie Taylor Greene, not what the media says about her. She's a maniac. She's a nut. She's a QAnon idiot. When I listen... To, I challenge anybody who listens to this show, tell me what you disagree with that Marjorie Taylor Greene is saying here. Hit it. Quick, there was something that I had tweeted out earlier today about the cost of this, and we've got that pulled up now. And I, I said $54 billion. Since I've been a member of Congress, I want you to know that is the amount of money that we have voted on. I have voted no to all of it. Just to be clear with you, I have voted no to all of it, because I don't believe in a war in Ukraine. I believe that United States role in this should have been constantly pushing the two countries to the negotiating table. We should have been pushing for peace, not spending money to create war and create death and cause more people to die. So I tweeted out 54 billion to Ukraine in a proxy war with Russia, because that's what we're doing against the American people's will. American taxpayers are basically funding almost all the defense of Europe. That is true. That is what we are doing with NATO. And Ukraine is not a NATO member. So why I, I still keep saying that. The truth is grinding up Ukraine, grinding up that country, its infrastructure, its buildings, its schools, its ability for people to live there and killing innocent Ukrainians because our part in this funding, funding, funding war, that's what it does. We're grinding up Ukraine to fight a proxy war with Russia is disgusting. That is morally disgusting and wrong. And unfortunately, another problem is, is Russia could have been an ally. But now with what's happening with Joe Biden and the UN and the way this is going I don't think Russia is going to be an ally anytime soon. Ain't no She's time to hate. Right. Now, Tyler Nixon, Marjorie Taylor Greene is becoming one of my absolute favorite politicians, along with Rand Paul, Thomas Massey. Did she say anything there you didn't you disagreed with? 
I love this woman, and and the more the media, and you can, you're absolutely correct. Look, look at the media denies, and that's your leaders, that's the influencers, and one of them is right here in Colorado, Lauren Boebert. She is oh, a yeah. no holds barred, just like Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's precise, concise, and she nails it, and she nails them to the wall, and she doesn't hold back. She doesn't play this. Uh, this BS, you know, DC insidery game of oh, oh, we don't, no, we don't want to, we don't want to, you know, certain topics are off limits, and we don't want to say that. Absolutely not. These people are. What what say you, Jason? Marjorie Taylor Green. Marjorie Taylor Green is great, and actually, you know, I had never heard of her when she won the election, and I went and looked her up and discovered she was a crowdsourced the truth viewer, and I was in touch with her while I was still on Twitter. But, you know, then she got deleted, I got deleted, and now I don't really have an easy way to contact her. But she's fantastic. She's no nonsense. She is, you know, a lady from Georgia who was tired of what was going on and went to Congress. And now they're, she's, I mean, I agree with everything she said. The United States has put the people of Ukraine through a meat grinder and how we've convinced everybody on the internet, wherever they might be, that it was the right thing to do. I just don't know. Okay, Tyler, welcome back. What were you saying? Go ahead. Where did you lose me? Because I really want to make this point that, that well, I'll just say it again. Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert here in Colorado, these are the movement leaders of the future. And I love it. They're these just no-nonsense, tough women uh, who who absolutely are fearless. And then they really yeah. set, the, set the tone and the example. And, you know, look, I worked for Newt Gingrich, and I saw that the harder and the more nasty they go after some someone uh, on our side, that's who the leaders are. They're trying to always demonize and make them radioactive so that people are reticent or sort of skittish about, about getting in and jumping in behind them or listening to them as leaders. But Marjorie Taylor Greene speaks truth, and she's absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's appalling. I mean, it's to the point where what you would call the United States government is not the United States of America, is not the people anymore. It is this, uh, it's this right now controlled by this vile cabal of warmongering fascist autocrats who are so disconnected from reality uh you know they're cruising for a bruising and if they think they're going to play these electoral uh games uh you know cheating and stealing elections they've got another thing coming because the pitchforks will be out people are not going to stand for it because it's one thing to play political games with russian collusion and donald trump this and that and the other but people are hurting out here paying through the nose i mean food prices are ridiculous i can't even believe I just went shopping last night, just in a matter of weeks, how much prices have gone up. The shelves are half well, bare. Well, Tyler, yes, I'll tell you one better. I, w my girlfriend and I went to the grocery store last night. Walmart in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, was out of eggs. Whoa. No eggs. Ugh, that's scary. And, and you know, that's only Have you heard eggs, because eggs are a fairly popular thing? Yeah. Worse, I mean, we have these food processing plants. Suddenly, all of them, what is it, 38 this year? Have, have I mean, how does that happen by accident? Realistically, how does that happen by How do we right. not have phalanxes of law enforcement investigators on that? Right. Jason, no, uh, before, we, uh, before we lose our time here, I want to hear what kind of music do you listen to, my friend? I'm just always curious. Like, well, or, some uh, I was telling Lee earlier, I've been to a Grateful Dead concert when in like 1991 or 1992, they got together with Sting. I really like the police. I went and saw them a sting. I was going to ask you guys, what do you think about the Grateful Dead kicking out Bob Dylan for being too stoned? <laughs> well, you know, I, I 
in addition to seeing the Sting tour you were referring to, which was '93, which yeah. was amazing, and I yeah play with Sting, and I love Sting. I mean, he is he's such a class act. But Bob Dylan was the final closing act, or excuse me, opening act for the Grateful Dead on their final tour, and I saw the first show, and after that. Oh man, Oof. he's it's it's tough to listen to. I mean, he's a great artist and he's just an icon. But my God, stop! It's just awful in in live performances. It's just hmm. he can't sing, and it's just oh yeah, it's really bad. But no, that's yeah. funny. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, the Grateful Dead. They're the wildest stories about everybody. I mean, that's everybody eventually came around. I mean, I remember I met Peter Jennings at, on the floor of Madison Square Garden, had him sign my ticket at, at a Grateful Dead show in 94. Pat Leahy would show up. Not wow. that I have any use for him or Peter Jennings, frankly. But that being said, uh, wow. you know, you'd see all these celebrities show up. And I saw Dylan and the Dead on that tour, the Dylan and the Dead tour. I hmm. saw him at Anaheim Stadium on the on that tour. And I, I will, full disclosure, they apparently timed it so when drum space was happening, do, do you know what I mean? The drum solo. Tyler, when that was happening, the sun was setting over Anaheim Stadium. So the rays of light were coming up over the stadium, and I was peeking. Wow. Full disclosure. <laughs> and it, was, it was fantastic. That's amazing. But well, you're right. They Bobby did it Levi Stadium. I was going to say, Levi Stadium, course, full rainbow appeared over the... Uh, some people think it was staged, but I mean, I don't see how you stage a full rainbow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It would be raining all day. I mean, this is, uh, I think, Santa Ana. But, um, well, and, anyway. And just we, we, don't have, we don't have time uh, to go into it now, it but down. Tyler, do you think a lot of people misunderstand? Because, for instance, there's this new thing I see where people are a combination of libertine, libertarian, and responsible. So, I, uh, without getting into details, I consider myself a sex positive person and I've had a pretty, you know, I'm not a prude, but I'm anti-abortion because, you know, I'll, I'll do the fun stuff, but if I knock someone up, I'm not going to say kill the baby. And do you think, I, I think that's a good example of the combination of responsible and libertine that a lot of people are nowadays. What say you, Tyler? No, absolutely. I mean, who wants to? First of all, you know the the, the left's answer. They they might they, they only really want to be able to kill babies and and I don't know whatever whatever the licentiousness is. It always surrounds you know sex and personal degradation. Other than that, they're authoritarians and and totalitarians really. So you know, I mean, if you value life, you value all life. And I think you know you you, you can live responsibly and have a great fun life uh, without you know having to. Uh, control other people. I mean, I just think it was a real contradiction with all these hippies who turned into these corporate sort of fascist, uh, you know, autocratic types that come out of San Francisco. I mean, they've totally betrayed what the hippies were about in the 60s. And Tyler, that's a great way to end it. Great appearance as usual. Thanks to Tom Nichols and thanks to Jason Goodman. We'll be back tomorrow on The Backstory. Backstory.